Hello, and welcome to the Good Leadership Podcast, where today we review the May 2023 Good Leadership Breakfast, featuring Glenn Gunderson. I'm Paul Botts, the CEO and founder of Good Leadership. And I'm Kevin Sensenig, the President and Chief Learning Officer of Good Leadership. At Good Leadership, we are building an organizational effectiveness firm based in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And the Good Leadership Breakfast is the signature event of the firm that started 13 years ago as a small gathering of like-minded leaders and has been growing into a dynamic force for leaders who are improving the way organizations operate because they know goodness pays. Yeah, so you may be asking, what do we mean by goodness? Kevin, will you explain that for our listeners? Yes, as confirmed by our research, goodness is defined as when people thrive together in a culture of encouragement, accountability, and positive teamwork. And the Thrive Together concept creates the perfect platform for the coaching processes we use to create team alignment and the leadership development programs that we use to increase organizational capacity. Yeah, amen to that, Kevin. And I just have to tell you that if you listen to this podcast before, yes, it's true. I don't sound normal. I've been fighting these spring allergies, and I'm I'm actually sound a heck of a lot better than I did yesterday, but I apologize for the, the raspy voice. So to get started this morning, uh, we need to thank Old National Bank yet again yes. for being the presenting sponsor of The Breakfast and this podcast. Mm-hmm. You know, if you haven't seen their hilarious and awesome TV ads, you know, you have to see them. And I heard this morning from Shadi Alomar, the CEO of the wealth business there, that they have a whole new slate of really? even funnier, more outrageous TV commercials coming. So you know what? Can't wait to see that. Oh, I can't either. Those, those commercials are great. I love we show them at The Breakfast. I love seeing them on TV. And uh, what a great representation of their brand. I'm going to suggest to him that we maybe host one of those viewing parties where they show them all at once and then we, you know, pop open some champagne or something like that. (laughs) That'd be a great idea. Okay, so Kevin, uh, you flew in from your home in central Pennsylvania to to, uh, participate with us yet again. So what's going on in your life these days? Well, it's been a really good spring, a really busy time, positive things happening with clients. Uh, Spent a lot of time with some clients this last two weeks and really enjoying seeing them thrive and their leadership teams see their organization differently. And personally, family is doing great and uh, ready for a big summer. So, yeah, how about you? Well, we're waiting for summer here in Minnesota. You know, (laughs) you and I got out last night and played uh, some golf, and we had finally had a break in the weather. That was awesome. You know, this time of year, I I recalibrate everything. Mm -hmm. I try to take advantage of the fact that the days are long and the Mm -hmm. sun stays up late in the evenings, and it just seems like we all have a lot more energy this time of year, and so there's lots of things going on, and we're about ready to have our third grandchild in our family, so wow. there's a lot going nice. on in the Bots family. It's all good. Yeah, I think this transition from spring into summer is, brings out a lot of positivity in people. We see good things happening. We're excited about the renewed nature of the season, and it's always a very positive time. So this morning was the 103rd episode of the Good Leadership Breakfast. Glenn, he helped us close out the spring series where our theme was winning with a goodness culture. We heard from Amanda Brinkman mm-hmm. in March from Sunshine Studios, and she talked a lot about the idea of doing well by doing good. Right. And then we had Christine Geisler. Um, she is a global HR executive. She flew in from New Jersey. She works at a company called Reckit. And she really talked about how she was able to find gratitude in both personal and professional crises. Mm-hmm. So we chose that theme because the mission of the Good Leadership Breakfast and our firm is to spread goodness through good leaders because we've proven goodness pays. 
So Kevin, will you explain to people who've never really been to the breakfast or anything, uh, you know, what it is we do at the Good Leadership Breakfast? Yeah, it's a very exciting time. And uh, consistently throughout the spring, we've hosted over 200 leaders in the Minneapolis-St. Paul area and held the breakfast at the Metropolitan Ballroom, which is a fantastic forum uh, for the breakfast. People rave about that ev- venue well, for there, what we do. There were 300 there today. Yeah, so it was even more, what, over 200. So yeah, that's right. <laughs> I, yeah. I used the, you know, the big mm-hmm. number. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but the program today featured Glenn Gunderson, the CEO of the YMCA of the North. And before Glenn had his conversation with you, which we'll talk about in a few moments, uh, we collected some data from the audience. We shared back data from the first two breakfasts in the series so people could understand what has been shared, what they've been thinking about. And then we built on that concept today. And then we had a short uh, workshop experience where people engage in some of the content around understanding goodness and how they can take these ideas and move them into winning with a goodness culture. Yeah, and I really like the format we've landed on. We are, we keep it moving. There's lots of activity, you know, we're kind of living in a short attention span world and it's taken us a while to get here, but it really feels, really feels good. It's hard to convey that in the podcast, but we're lots of stuff going on. Um, I love it when we collect data. Uh, Would you share some of the highlights of the data we collected yet this spring? Yeah, so we looked at a couple of key parts from the previous data and then today's data, and we looked at uh, do people believe culture is important and valuable in their and winning in the marketplace? And we found from the first two breakfasts, 88% of individuals participating said yes. Culture is important from an outside-in perspective as much as an inside-out perspective, which is powerful. Mm-hmm. And then the second question we've been asking is that sense of uh, are people seeking accountability in, in, in your workplace? Because we recognize that goodness, a goodness culture, is built around accountability, and goodness actually enhances accountability, that people want to seek that accountability. And so we asked that question, are people seeking accountability in your, in your organization? Only about 50% said that's true, which is interesting. So people are saying culture is super important internally and externally, but most people aren't really leaning into it and search, searching for it. They kind of expect it to be there. So today we extended that conversation to look at is a goodness culture, is accountability important in your culture? And the reason for that is to think in terms of usually people pay attention to things they think are important in the organization. So if people aren't mm-hmm. seeking accountability, they must not see it as important. Mm-hmm. And it was interesting because only about 45 or 50% said it's really important, really important. Yeah, that caused a real murmur at my table. People like, really? How could this be? Because, you know, I had a lot of CEOs at my table, and yes. they're the ones that usually have the big blind spot. And I had some folks at my table who are in the M&A space, and they're going, hmm, maybe this is why we struggle with these transitions. Oh, that's awesome. If people aren't seeking that accountability. It's kind of an interesting conversation. Uh, And so we looked at that part. And then secondly, we ask, how do you begin to drive that sense of importance around it? Who's Who's responsible for that? And interestingly enough, the group as a whole today said the direct manager. Middle managers are most critical in driving that sense of seeking accountability which I was somewhat glad to see. It didn't only go to, well, the senior executives have to do it and we'll all follow, uh, but it puts a lot of pressure on middle managers who are doing a lot of things with their team. And so it gives us some real insight to how people think about why they seek accountability. Well, the CEO I was sitting next to looked at me and said, geez, I'm spending almost nothing on manager training right now. Yeah. So that was a huge aha. So, you know, I, I love the fact that you are using data. You're making a big difference in the breakfast, and it's really fun to see how this whole thing has been evolving. Good. Okay, so let's transition to Glenn now. So by way of background, you already shared with us that he's the president and CEO of the YMCA of the North. It's a really large, it's one of the largest YMCAs in the United States. So when he first took took the job, his job was to combine Minneapolis and St. Paul. 
the chapters into one big one. And historically, that's been a really tough assignment for anybody in this community. There's the Mississippi River that separates St. Paul and Minneapolis, and it might as well be 10 miles wide when you talk <laughs> about culture. So throughout his tenure, he made this happen by attracting a really unique combination of board members. He talked about a little bit of that, both executives and philanthropists and socially-minded people. And in that, he also managed to find time for travel and family time. He talked about working on his farm. Mm -hmm. He's kind of a fitness guy, but he also has a very powerful spiritual life. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because if you're not from the Minneapolis-St. Paul area, it's sometimes hard to understand that river concept, but that really resonated in the audience today. Those from the area understood that distinction. And as someone from outside the area, I really began to get a picture of why is that such a challenge and... It was interesting to hear him talk about how he overcame that, and he began to really lean into that issue and make it a part of merging the board and merging the thinking and merging the teams, and it was really a powerful part of the conversation. Yeah, so the answer to that, how did he do it, is really inherent in what we're going to share here today. Yeah. So uh, let's pick up the program where I first asked the opening question. When you hear the words, winning with a goodness culture, mm. what does that mean to you in the context of your big job? Mm. Well, thank you. First of all, it's really awesome to be here. There's so many people that I've had a chance to run across that I haven't seen in a while. And, and I've got uh, two of my favorite people in the world out there, my daughter and my wife. I uh, had a chance to come today. So um, daughter back from college. Um, you know, the Y has given me this amazing opportunity to make goodness kind of a daily, a daily part of the job. Um, if you think about um, where we are in culture and in community right now, we've got a lot of work to do uh, to bring people together. We don't have a place where we convene uh, like we may have in slower and simpler times. We don't uh, seem to be able to do anything but politicize most everything. Uh, and I think uh, media uh, has created such extremes. Um, and so as I think about the why, we have this amazing ability to actually be the place where people come together and that we serve in a very dynamic way for those that need us most, uh, and then um, ultimately um, helping to move uh, community forward in a, in a goodness way, in a positive way. Uh, so uh, for me, um, I'm really blessed, super fortunate to be able to work in a, in a context like the YMCA where day in and day out, we are geared, wired, uh, just committed uh, to trying to move people forward in a positive, goodness sort of way. Okay, so right away, we made a connection between the, some data we collected later on. Right, right here, he said he equated goodness with positivity. Yeah. It was just inextricable in his mind. And oh, later on in the program, you asked, you know, what's the most important component of right. goodness in, from leaders, and what did they say? Positivity. 50% of the audience said positivity was the most important thing. So I, you know, you never know what's going to come out of people's mouths when I ask that question. Right. You know, what do you, what does winning with a goodness culture mean? I just thought that was so interesting that he did that. How about you? Yeah, it really struck me as he, he clarified that issue that we have such a divide everywhere in society right now. Everything's about dividing things out. You're in this group, I'm in that group, and we can't come together. And that he said, in leadership and culture, we have a lot of work to do. And it really struck me that's our role as good leaders is to bring those divides together, to, to seem that in a way that people feel more comfortable and confident showing up to themselves, being open and honest about things and working through things together rather than in their own, uh, own sides of the issue. Yeah, and I don't know if people actually understand that when they're dividing, it's a very negative thing. Yeah. 
So we also ask about people's career journey. So let's jump to that right now. Over the last 10 days, I got so many messages from people saying, oh my God, I know Glenn Gunderson. I've been on his board. I engaged in this way. And many people described uh, being a part of your board as being sort of a pivotal moment for them. And so that's a wonderful transition to where I love to go with these interviews. And that is, when you look back at your career, what were some of those pivot points? And we think about a pivot point as when you sort of collide with something and it sends you in a different direction. You look back on it later and say, wow, that was important for me. Mm. So um, think, can you describe two or three of those pivot points for you? Sure, yeah. I mean, many of you know the Lifetime Fitness brand, and I worked there for about 14 years. Uh, and uh, worked for, uh, and I don't know if there are any Lifetime folks out here, amazing uh, place, uh, very strong-willed, mercurial founder who I was working for, and really found my way to being kind of pigeonholed, where um, the leader was looking for me to become more of a creative director in a marketing context, leading the marketing function of the organization at, at kind of this very hyper-growth uh, period. And my desire was to try to become a better business person. I really wanted to grow, Paul, as someone who uh, could serve effectively uh, and, and raise up or grow a business. And so I kept feeling this tension of being pushed back into, you know, uh, what was the font package in the direct mail piece versus um, how might we, uh, you know, think about transforming yeah. the brand. And, mm -hmm. and so came to an inflection point that was uh, probably more like hitting your head against a brick wall. And, um, and just basically, finally, maybe in that particular context, stood my ground to say, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm not interested in just becoming a creative want to become a better business leader. And so that actually, um, where I thought I was going to be fired, um, maybe three or four times in that conversation, it led to a complete transformation of my career opportunity there, going from you know being pigeonholed, uh, but kind of carving myself out of that box to serve in the way that um, allowed me to build businesses within the business. So more of a business development role versus uh, the marketing role that I was in. And it was... Um, it was transformational. It allowed me to see startups within a startup mm -hmm. um, time and time again and uh, learn and fail and learn and fail. Well, then, tell us about how you um, learned about and ended up in the CEO role at, yeah. at the Y. Yeah, I, um, it's interesting. I was with an early-stage health technology company, loved my work there. A couple of dear friends, at least two or three out in the audience today that uh, overlapped with me there. Um, and it looked like that company was going to be sold. And uh, if we were sold, uh, may uh, have to move uh, or relocate with young kids wasn't the idea of a good time. So we were going to try to stay in this, in this community. Uh, I got a call from the search firm. I'd been actually praying about what might be next for me and, and kind of thinking of it through both a faith and family lens. And I was um, uh, you know, not quite smart enough to realize that a week later, I got a call from the search firm uh, that was leading the search for the Y. The YMCA of uh, Minneapolis, the YMCA of St. Paul were merging, coming together to form one agency. And uh, I got a call to say, hey, would you be interested in this search? And I said no. And I said no on the basis of the narrow little slice of understanding ahead of the Y. I didn't understand the Y's social mission, its outreach capability, the impact it had on communities. So turned it down. A week later, I got a call from my mentor, one of my mentors, who said, you knucklehead, what are you thinking? Like, <laughs> what are you doing? This is you. This is your community. This is serving. This is reaching out to, to make a big impact. And so 
uh, in, in, in that kind of mentor pressure, I kind of dug into the opportunity and then saw it as something that could be really uh, special. But I wasn't quite there. We were on spring break, and I'm going to throw my uh, daughter under the bus here for <laughs> making it happen. We were on spring break. I knew I was going to get the job offer while we were on break, and so I thought, oh, dad-daughter teaching moment. This will be great. I'll explain that, hey, you know, here's the job I'm in, and here's the job opportunity I have. So I brought Sophia into, into a room, and I opened the FedEx package and looked at the offer, and you know, I said, hey, here's, you know, you know what I do, you know, sort of as an eight-year-old or nine-year-old, whatever you might know. <laughs> um, I'm sure she was really, you know, really making a lot of sense of this. And then I said, and here's what I might do at the Y. I said, what do you think I should do? And she said, Dad, I think you should go to the Y. You'll help more people at the Y. And so I give uh, Sophia a lot of credit uh, for being in this job. So, Kevin, how many eight-year-olds actually know what their dad does? <laughs> I was thinking about that. I'm thinking, I don't know if my kids at eight years old knew what I do. They I would have said, now. <laughs> he goes to the office. Yeah. That's what they would say. So, uh, interesting, the pivot point concept. Um, um, I, I had a moment like that where I was banging my head against something, and e deep down inside, I knew that if I couldn't be a CEO, I wasn't going to be happy. Mm -hmm. And where I was at, it wasn't going to happen. And it was a painful nine months of my life until I left and started this firm. So I, I, I had an unexpected moment of catharsis while I was interviewing him. I was like, whoa, he put it in words like I've never had before. So what were you thinking about that? Well, there were two key things I took out of his conversation there. One was from a personal standpoint and one from a leadership standpoint. The personal piece I took out was that sense of uh, fighting for what you want not just sitting back and waiting and hoping that eventually you'll get to where you want to go, but putting it out there and pushing forward to achieve it. That was powerful. And the second part from the leadership standpoint was the power of purpose. He thought about what drew him into the why and what his daughter identified was there's a bigger purpose in the why than the other roles. And so the more as leaders we can create purpose for our team members, the more they can draw in and feel that they're thriving and they're a part of something bigger than themselves. Uh, that's an excellent transition to the next conversation we had. So one of the things that Glenn did um, after the days of George, uh, the death of George Floyd here in Minneapolis was to dive deeper into his own understanding about conversations on race. So let's go to that part of the program. Yeah. I want to ask a little bit more about um, sort of how this evolved. It, once you stabilized the organization, you got people focused on what a healthy community of Minneapolis-St. Paul looks like, and then you got onto this you know, the conversation about race mm, mm. started the podcast, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So talk talk to us about that. How did you get there? Mm. And then what are you really learning being the host of that? Yeah. Well, 2020 was a major inflection for all of us, right? And and it was in particular a challenge for the why. When the governor uh, made, uh, you know, kind of started to shut things down, when the pandemic shut things down, it changed our entire operation, right? We were operating buildings, we were operating childcare centers, we were operating camps, all of that came to a screeching halt. Um, and you know, sh uh, shortly thereafter, of course, we have George Floyd's murder and the racial and social unrest became very real. And even an organization like the Y and, and uh, our leadership team were really called out to say, what are we doing? What are we doing about equity? Um, how are we engaging from a DE&I perspective? And, and we had been doing a lot. We had launched an uh, equity uh, innovation uh, concept. Dr. Hetty Walls back, uh, back here, the, the idea engine and juice behind that idea has just done an amazing job. We went through the, the, the murder, the unrest, 
Uh, it was a particularly tragic summer for us as a family. It was just overwhelming. Um, and we were also going after um, having to right-size the organization to survive. So we had to go through a, a tremendous volume of layoffs of people that were such good um, and faithful servants of the Y. So exceedingly painful. But one of the things that was, was called out was, you know, look, you're the Y. You're serving all. Why are you not even more uh, vocal, more visible around equity and, and leadership? And so... Um, I had a, a couple of mentors uh, that I asked, I said, what do you think about me being more vocal and sustaining that voice uh, for change uh, around our race and social issues? And so it has been profound. Uh, interviewing the likes of Tony Dungy, Alex Rodriguez, Kevin Warren, um, on and on, uh, leaders of color in most cases, um, who are telling their very raw stories about where they've come from and what it has taken for them to overcome certain barriers. And, um, and just um, eye-opening for me, a little small-town, middle-aged white dude, if you couldn't tell, that is um, uh, reconciling my own opportunities and privilege and really not um, understanding uh, the way I would like to, uh, what the realities are for some in our community. And, and I think all of us, um, I look out over this audience, and this audience could become mm -hmm. more diverse. Mm -hmm. Um, and this audience could become richer in that diversity relative to learning from one another. And, and uh, I've just been, I've been blessed by it. I believe the organization has. And I think it's teaching us um, that we've really got to move from the politicization of everything to a humanitarian approach and just loving up on humans. So this is a podcast. No one can see us. Here you and I are, two mm -hmm. middle-aged white guys. Yep. And I thought Glenn did an amazing job of putting his own perspective into that conversation. Now, I have a sister who married a man who's half African-American, half Native American, and she has the most beautiful multiracial boys, Birch and Ade. And I have learned so much looking at the world through their lens. Mm -hmm. But I'm also on a continual quest here at Good Leadership to figure out how we can become so much more you know, racially diverse in how we look at the world and then also how we present ourselves to the world. And I, I was just really um, impressed at his courage and foresight to say, okay, I'm going to do something about this as the middle-aged white guy CEO of this organization. And you know that 90 or probably 80% of the people who go through the doors of the YMCA of Minneapolis and St. Paul are not white. Right. So what were you thinking when you heard this? Well, I thought it came right back to where he started his comments. When he talked about that we're so divided, how do we as leaders set that culture of bringing people together? And he took that same approach in his equity work. Rather than looking at the sides and the division there, looking at how we can seam that center and bring people together. And I think that's the ideal state when we think about DEIB. How do we help people feel equitable, feel included, and most importantly, feel they belong. And I think that he's doing a really nice job in, in seeming that together. Yeah, so during one of the workshops when everybody was talking at their tables, he and I were talking at our table, a table right. of two up on stage, of course, and we started talking about the connection between our concept of thrive together, yeah. which is the root of goodness, mm -hmm. and what he was trying to do with conversations on race. Yeah. So, you know, I, I may never get comfortable with this as long as I live because I grew up white, in an America that was struggling with this, 
and I'm always trying to see how do I fit into this. I'm trying to do my best, but there's no clear path for guys like you and me. And so it's, I, I really appreciated just how he got us into that conversation. But I think it ties right back to what you just said. When we can see this as an opportunity to thrive versus an opportunity to point out each other's weaknesses, I think it's a strong start and gets us on a better in a better space and a better spot to deal with this very honestly, openly, and as he said, humanly. Yeah. Well, one of the other things we do at the Good Leadership Breakfast is we ask our speakers to identify three success habits. Now, a success habit is something that a leader has learned to do over and over and over again because it works for them. Right. And so um, he identified three success habits. I'm going to tell our listeners what right. the first two were, and then we're going to listen to the third one, which, I, which is uh, unusual and I thought powerful. Uh, the first one was teaching the executive team to take their cues from the front lines. Right. And that means those, in this case, teenagers who are out there running camps and greeting the kids as they're coming through the doors and really understand what are their wins and their joys, but also their pain points. I thought that was fascinating. And the second one was oh, interpersonal. You know, find your unique de decompression chamber, he called yeah. it. And he talked about he has this farm shirt and he likes yep. to dig in the ground and, you know, cut down trees and stuff on his farm. And that's his decompression chamber. All, both of those are very sound and they fit like with our philosophy. Right. So um, let's take a listen to what his third success habit was. You say, ask why not yeah. a lot. Yeah. So uh, why is that important to you and how do you do it? Yeah. Uh, I think we're really good at asking why. And when I think about senior leadership uh, kind of models, uh, you know, you see a lot of uh, business journal articles, a lot written over the last number of decades around you got to ask why and why and why to really understand the full ecosystem of what it is you're leading. And I really tried to flip that. I really think why not's more important. And here's what I mean by that. I think when you're asked why once, twice, three times, you start to become... <laughs> Yeah, a defense, little defensive, yeah, yeah. right? You start mm -hmm. to um, maybe close off. Um, you get nervous about maybe the accountability is going to a level where you're going to be exposed for not having done or, mm -hmm. or uh, checked all the boxes you need to check. I think especially with young leaders, if you can ask why not. So if they're presenting a new concept, a new program idea, a new place for us maybe to expand, a partnership, a funder, um, I really like to plant the seed of, well, why not? Why wouldn't we do it? And what it does is it I think it, it, it inspires more hope, more mm -hmm. uh, the prospects for dreaming and thinking, um, yeah, what are the reasons that we would stop? Let's, let's kind of invert the mm -hmm. question and think about um, all the ways in which um, we ought to go and do this. Why not? Why, what would be the risk? What, is the, um, what are the downsides versus, um, you know, kind of this Spanish, Spanish Inquisition of, really making people feel like they're on their heels and they're defending their job, defending their position, or defending the concept. Um, so um, the way we do it, uh, or the way I do it, is just in trying to disarm uh, in, in any case where an individual is, you know, young teamers, I mean, get, get nervous presenting to our CFO or presenting um, to the CEO. And so I really like to kind of humanize the situation, help them feel that they're a peer, um, really leverage personal power versus position power, get ditch titles, get away from the title dynamics. And in fact, sometimes we'll even say, hey, we, you know, this is a title agnostic meeting. You know, you're all peers, you're all um, equal in this decision. And then um, dial away from why and start to ask why not. Um, and that can happen even in those interactions with the front line when you're out in, 
your organization, learning from them, um, you can be asking, well, why, why don't we do it that? Why not? So the third success habit was ask why not. What are you thinking about that? Well, I'll date myself a little bit, but starting with this continuous process improvement and then Six Sigma, what we were always taught, ask why five times. And so many leaders hold on to that and ask why and why and why and why and why. A very powerful concept here. Let's turn that around. Why not? Why can't we do that? Why isn't that a possibility? And we talked at the end about breakthrough goal setting. That takes a lot of a why not mindset, not a why mindset. So that's a very powerful connection into the day. Yeah. And, you know, leaders who lead, he talked earlier about leading five generations of people. Yeah. So there are all sorts of ways that we get people's attention. And one of the ways is putting an unfamiliar twist Mm -hmm. on a very familiar concept. And I, I was grinning inside because, you know, you and I are coaches and we're, we sell our time, we're consultants, and, you know, one of the ways you do get attention is by having a very different point of view, and, you know, the goodness pays idea has been really helpful for us, but the why not, I loved it. It it was parallel with one of my other favorite concepts in leadership, and there, there's a whole school of thought that says that the most powerful word for leaders is the word yet. Mm. So we haven't gotten there yet. The implication is it's possible and we will get there. So hang in there, try again tomorrow. And so I, I loved it. I, it. It just really, I think, showed the core of who Glenn really is. Yeah, great. Okay, so at this point in the program, um, I turn it over to you. Right. And you lead the room in a workshop. And the workshop has gotten richer and better every time. I heard lots of people today saying, this workshop was awesome today. So would you explain to our listeners what did we do and what did you learn? Yes, yeah, so uh, tying in this idea of winning with a goodness culture, Today, we used one of our tools, Understanding Goodness, where we articulate the four cornerstones of goodness and have people do some exercise work around that. And those cornerstones are? The cornerstones are uh, rewarding excellence, living generously, demonstrating fairness, and spreading positivity. And the exercise we asked the people to do in the room was to think about what are words that mean the same, synonyms of each of those four cornerstones, and what do words mean the opposite, the antonyms of those four words. And they dug into some really rich conversation around what does, what does that look like when it's done well, and what does it look like when it's not done so well? So it was a really powerful discussion. And then we'd ask them to think in terms, which, which area do their leaders struggle the most? Which of those four cornerstones do their leaders struggle the most with? And that was a really rich conversation to tables because people then had to take it personally and go, oh, it's not just saying what they should be. It's where do we all struggle with that? And that links back to the conversation we just had about positivity. Exactly. And so as I was listening to the teams at the tables talk about this, they identified a couple of key things. One is that fair, what is fair to me may not be, seem fair to you. So this mm-hmm. idea that fairness is tough because it has such an individual perception to it. So we can't just say I'm being fair to you if people don't feel it's being fair. The second key part was that attitude makes the difference. And so that's the positivity to a degree, but they all talked about attitude being important in the other three cornerstones as well. I have to have an attitude of excellence and an attitude of generosity, an attitude of fairness to let that positivity show through. So I thought that was very unique and interesting. Mm -hmm. And then the third part was um, a little bit of this idea of these are challenging to do when we feel we have limited resources. And so the conversation that came out of some of that discussion at some of the tables was, This idea, we have to be optimistic. If we don't have optimism to this, we'll allow the tightness of resources or the limited resources to be a negative 
thinking on our leadership rather than being optimistic that we can succeed even in difficult times. So some really powerful conversation. Well, and you and I know a lot about this. I mean, we're trying to grow a small firm. Yeah. We have huge aspirations and we're <laughs> we're funding it privately. And, right. you know, there is a lot of frustration about things we can afford and can't afford. But right. if, if you let it slide into narrow thinking and negativity, right. you got no chance. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So at this point, we uh, shift to the question we've asked um, almost all of the people who've been speakers over the last 103 episodes of the Good Leadership Breakfast. So let's go to that question now. How do you know for sure that goodness pays for you in your leadership? Yeah, tackle it in a few ways. One is um, we are seeing leaders uh, growing up through the Y and going out and leading organizations um, like the Y, other small, non, small to mid-sized nonprofits. Uh, and to me, um, they're be becoming convicted enough in, um, in doing goodness as a career. Uh, that they're finding their way to do it um, in other places. And so this coaching tree of sorts of folks going out and doing goodness in other, other ways and in other places is some proof. I'd use an example too, uh, and just sticking with this equity theme, we launched an equity advisory, or a, 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 an equity innovation center um, at our downtown Y that then became uh, virtualized in terms of content and learning. And we started to work with cities uh, school districts, uh, companies on, you know, really moving them from cultural competence to cultural agility uh, to cultural humility. And um, cities like Edina, who want to be more culturally uh, uh, engaged. Uh, cities like Hastings, who want to be uh, an inclusive uh, town for their community. And um, so that work internally turning out is now resulting in these communities starting to be transformed at a time when we need uh, transformation in our communities for us to come together, um, set political divides aside, and again, love up on each other. So I'm seeing that, the fruits of that, day in and day out, and again, Dr. Walls back there, um, a game changer and her team, um, uh, that is proving to me that goodness pays, goodness matters, um, and I would encourage all of you, um, if you, are not seeing goodness come to life in your company, find it somewhere. Uh, but uh, as a leader, hopefully you can advance it relative to your own culture, and maybe you can uh, spread your own goodness in other ways, whether it be in a nonprofit board context with the Y or other, other places. Okay, so for the record, you and I at the moment are sitting in Edina. Yep. It's a wealthy white suburb. Mm -hmm. And so that he did a good job of making that uh, relevant. And so what I heard out of that was that goodness pays when goodness grows. Right. They've had leaders grow in their organization and go out and plant these ideas in other places. And that's goodness. And that's how it pays. What did you hear? Yeah, I heard goodness pays when we bring people together. So that plural concept of leadership is really powerful. Well, here we are at the end of another podcast. We just completed our 103rd Good Leadership Breakfast. And so I want to thank you all for listening to the Good Leadership Podcast, where we debriefed Glenn Gunderson. He's sort of a celebrity and a who's who in the Minneapolis-St. Paul business area. And if you haven't had a chance to attend the Good Leadership Breakfast in person and you want to watch the video, uh, it'll be posted on social media here very soon on the Good Leadership website. As a reminder, our firm, Good Leadership, is an organizational effectiveness coaching firm. We exist because everyone knows you can't have an effective organization without good leadership, and you can't have good leadership without goodness. Mm -hmm. 
You can find information about our past and future breakfasts on social media, by joining our email list, or by searching our website, goodleadership.com. We will pick up the Good Leadership Breakfasts again in September, and September 15 exactly, featuring Michelle Havens, president of the West Region of the Northern Trust Organization. Kevin? And thank you for investing in yourself. Uh, this podcast is one of several resources we provide for that self-directed learning aspect of our growth as leaders. And you will find uh, other options for uh, self-directed learning and other good leadership essential aspects within our program offerings to help organizations expand their leadership capacity. Today, also at the breakfast, we featured the team book study bundle, Breakthrough to Goodness. And that's an opportunity to purchase 10 copies of the book, Breakthrough to Goodness, and an electronic study guide you can use your team to really engage in thinking about and embracing the power of breakthrough goals to reach amazing results. And I would recommend for every leader listening to this podcast, now is a prime time to purchase that bundle. To prepare your leaders for that mid-year review of your operating plan. Where are we at currently and how do we finish strong in 2023? So a great self-study for your team to use coming into that conversation. Well said. So on behalf of Old National Bank, our sponsor, all the coaches and team members at Good Leadership, we want to remind you that the mission of the Good Leadership Breakfast and our firm is to spread goodness through good leaders because we've proven goodness pays. Have a great week, everyone. And as you think about your own leadership, uh, what do you want everyone to remember, Kevin? Goodness pays. Yes, goodness pays. <laughs>